message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated this morning, open your Bibles to John chapter 15. Uh, we started last week to wrap up our foundation series. We've been in a, a series for about 10 weeks now. We're just looking at the basics of the faith. You know, why is Jesus the only way? Is that just something that we believe or can we kind of support that biblically? And we began to look at just different aspects aspects of what we would call foundational theology of the Christian life. And, and hopefully we've driven all of that from his word, not from our opinion. But I wanted to finish with this passage over these last three weeks and, and talk about the application. Because, you know, up to that point, for about eight weeks, we're just kind of filling our head with a lot of information. But that information is always supposed to transform the way that we actually live. Information for just the sense of information is not why we gather today. We gather because we want transformation of our hearts and our minds. And yet this is going to be a challenging passage because there is such a temptation for us just to become better at something that we were already kind of naturally doing. And I'll tell you more about that as we get into it. Because one of my fears this morning is that we would go from this place and that we would just expect, as God has called us to love one another and to love as he has loved us, that we would go from this place going, okay, you know, that bad friendship that I have or that person I'm mad at or that person in the neighborhood or that family member, you know, I'm just going to love them a little bit better. And if you got that as the message and you left here with that application, then you're only getting kind of half of it because there is this call to love better. But he gives us a secret in his word. It's not really a secret. It's just he gives us a key. Key is a much better word. The key of opening. How do we actually love sometimes those who are unlovely? And how do we do it with the love of Christ instead of us just becoming more lovable people? See, when we started last week, we said that John 15... It's the only chapter that I know of in the Bible that every word is going to be read. If you have a red letter Bible, it's all the words of Christ. And so we're not going to mess up if we just kind of quote the scripture this morning. I could get up here and just read it and you're going to be blessed because this is Christ's words. But where does it fall in? It falls in one of his last teachings before the crucifixion of the disciples. They've already left the, the, what we call the Last Supper, they've left. Judas is gone. He's going to go and do his kind of nefarious thing that where he kind of says, okay, this is where Christ is. And so it leaves the 11, and Christ has given them a final teaching. But he's really good. You know, we, always, we said last week, we like those professors that said, this will be on the exam. I always loved those. You know, if they gave me a sheet that said these five things will be on the exam, that was even better. Not only did you tell me, but then you wrote it down. Well, here, Christ told us what this passage was about. And then, by the inspiration of God, we have it recorded so that 2,000 years later, we have it written down, what is the purpose of John 15? And we find that in verse 11. Look again. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And I've never met somebody, folks. I've never met a single person in my life, Christian or non-Christian, believer or non-believer, one who is for the glory of God or one who is standing against the glory of God that didn't want to be a more joyful person. It's one of those things that we just, we want that in our lives. 
We may not grasp the understanding of it. We may not really understand the application of it. We may think that it comes because of a bigger house or a nicer car or more, you know, a better paying job. And we confuse happiness with joy. But I've never met somebody who really deep down didn't say, you know, I just want to be a person of joy. And if I could have the joy of Christ in my life, that would be like the ultimate. He says this is what this passage is about. And last week we said that we could break it down into three different relationships. John 15 is all about relationships. The first relationship, as he talks about, he is the vine and we are the branches. In fact, he said he was the true vine. Okay, because Israel thought that they were kind of the vine. He said, no, you kind of failed. (laughs) I'm the true vine and you are the branches. And he begins to describe that. And this is our relationship with Christ. Then today we're going to look at verses 12 through 17, our relationship with other Christians. And we could extend that out to other people, but, but primarily he's talking about other Christians and talks about how do we love others well. And next week we'll look at our relationship with the world. Don't be surprised if some people don't always agree with you. Don't be surprised that if you walk in my commandments that some people are going to actually kind of reject you. And so we'll look at that next week. But I want you to know that these flow down. You take off the first one, and it's impossible to have the second one. And we'll never grasp the third one. Because the biggest temptation today that you and I, and I've already said it once, and you'll hear it probably four or five times again, not to bore you, not because I do not think that you're intelligent and you don't grasp things, but because this is our human nature so much. We will hear loving others And we will just think that the call there is to love them better. And that's not what Jesus is saying. The invitation is to love them as he has loved us. A lot different than just loving better. And I promise you, if we don't get the first part, if we're not a branch on the vine then it's impossible for that kind of love from the vine to come through the branch. It's just not going to happen. You're going to be separated. Remember back in school, anybody who learned cause and effects? I should have brought dominoes this morning. You know, I'm a visual teacher. I like different things because I have kind of a visual mind and I'm quite childlike. And so it's one of those things that those kinds of things help. And if I would have brought dominoes this morning and I had them stacked all the way across here, Dustin, another visual person. What would happen, you with me in this visual? Okay, I've I've got 25 dominoes right here, right? And they're all standing up just like this. What happens if I hit that first domino? Yeah, cause and effect. One of the most, by the way, one of the most important teachings, parents, that you can ever give to your kids. You do this, you make this decision, this is what happens. Cause and effect is really a part of maturity as a human. But here it's a part of our Christian maturity. A cause and effect that he puts into place and he begins to say, okay, because we are branches connected to this vine, here's one of the effects that it should have on our lives. As you go out and have relationships with other people, you're going to be challenged to love them. Agreed? Anybody come to your mind? Is there enough room on your... You just start listening there. Okay, your prayer list, cause and effect. If we don't have the first one, we're not going to get the second one. And yet this relationship that we have is going to be affected because we are a vine, uh, we are a branch connected to the vine. I would say it this way. 
Let me go ahead and just be all-inclusive here of how I would summarize the first 11 verses from last week. Christ basically was saying, hey, if you are a branch and I'm the vine, if you truly are connected to me, it's going to change every relationship that you have in life. Would you agree that that would be a fair summary of one of the aspects of application that Christ would make in those first 11 verses? Last week we talked about transformation. That a life untransformed, you'd have a hard time convincing me that that is a Christian life. Not to be judged, but because it said this is going to be a supernatural thing that happens, that if you are a branch and you're connected to me, you will be transformed. You'll do things differently because you'll be bearing fruit that comes from the vine. A life untransformed. I would be challenged to say that this is a life that's being lived for Jesus Christ. I would say about that about my life, your life, anybody's life, not because of I'm a judgmental person, but because this is what Christ said in these first 11 verses. Transformation comes when we're connected to He, the vine. Now look what He says in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another. Period. So what he says? What does he say? Rashay, what does he say? As I have loved you. If you kept that off, if you just put a period afterwards, I, this is my commandment, that you love one another. Most of us, that would fit right into our natural thinking. Okay, I need to be a better lover of people. I don't like people a whole bunch, but you know, because of Jesus in my life... You know, I know the Christian thing, the moral thing, the most Christ-like thing is just to love them better, to have more patience, more tolerance, and all those things. But that's not where he stops, folks. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as. If you are one of those that writes in your Bible, my, my grandmother never would. I mean, she just, this is a sacred. One time I put my milk on the Bible that was on her coffee table, I thought I was going to go see Jesus right that moment. <laughs> I'm serious. That was like the most offensive thing. And I was her grandson, and yet I think she was ready to take me out. Because it was either obedience to the Lord or the sacrifice of her grandson. And I think the choice was pretty easy for her. Uh, it's a workbook, guys. And, and, and I don't think there's any offense to God if you write it up and if you keep notes and do this, these, these kind of things. But that word as... It's kind of the key to understanding the application of the teachings of Christ here. Because it demonstrates this cause and effect. Again, this domino effect. If you push this one down and they're all lined up, he says, okay, naturally, this 25th one is going to fall down because this first one started this cause and effect. And do you see the cause effect here? Jesus doesn't say, I command you to love one another. He doesn't just say, I love you. He connects those two commands and those two facts. And that is the key. That understanding and, and that personalization is the key for us becoming not just better lovers of people, but it unleashes this ability to, to love better and do it through the supernatural abilities of Christ and, and, and the love that he has for us. When we look into the New Testament, we see this 
over and over again, further evidence all the time of this causal relationship, that because of this, it causes this relationship to happen. One of those is found in the teachings in John 13. If you're at John 15, just it may be on the same page, turn over to John 13, and this is actually before they left the Last Supper in the upper room, so they're still there. By this time, Judas has left, but he's given this same teaching, and look how he says. It almost sounds the similar way and the exact same words, but, but look at the nuance that we see there. John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. We get the love part, and we get the another part. We get this, that there's this clear teaching that I'm just to love you, and I'm going to love you more. What we don't get is that this isn't just me improving my human moral capability. But it's because I'm a branch connected to the vine. And that my life in Christ is going to give me something supernaturally that I never could do naturally. Our love for one another is what Christ establishes even as the hallmark of Christian identity. Look what he says there in verse 35. By this, by what? By this love for one another, by this they will know that you are my disciples. That's a big statement, guys. Not only is this a mark of maturity in your own walk with Christ, he said, but the world and the, everybody else, when they look at your life, he said, this is going to be one of the distinguishing factors. They're going to look at your life and they're going to say, okay, how well does this person love others? This is going to be a kind of a, a way that they can see your maturity he would say, your connectiveness back to me. In fact, look how closely John would write letter uh, later in 1 John about Christ's love for us and the resulting love that we would have for others. 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. Whoever says that he's in the light and hates his brother is still what? In darkness. Do you see the clear separation there? I mean, is that kind of a muddy kind of unclear statement that he's making. Now, this is John later on, okay? This is years later. Most say that he was about 90 years old when he wrote this. This is before his death. And so he, he's got a, he's the grandfather of the New Testament at this point. And with all that wisdom that comes with 90 years and seeing all the things that John saw, he writes in these closing, you know, writings, hey, here's what I figured out. There's going to be a lot of people that say that they're a brother. There are going to be a lot of people that say that they're a Christian. And he says, look, one of the clarifying statements that Jesus made is if you don't love your brother, does the love of Christ really reside in you? This isn't me being a judge. This is just looking at the Bible and what Jesus said and trying to clarify that he's put a high call on us to actually love people, and especially other Christians. He goes on and says in 1 John 4, verse 10 and 11, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the perpetuation of our sins. So he says, okay, the kind of love that I'm talking about is a love that's in action, and God took action and that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And he says that that whole purpose. So in verse 10, we get the theology of it. But look at verse 11. Beloved, 
He's the granddaddy, okay? He's 90 years old, so he's going to call people beloved. Beloved, if God so loved us, what? We also ought to love one another. Do you see the causal relationship? Taking the love of Christ, the love of God, and he says, okay, if you're in this, your love for others is going to be a natural connection or a supernatural connection there. The last thing John is talking about, the last thing Jesus is speaking about is, Bobby, before you were a, a three on the loving, and you were a, kind of a three when it comes to loving others, but I've been watching your life. Man, you're looking like a five. This is not about you becoming more you know, compassionate, more this, that, and the other in your own strength. It's because you are abiding in Christ. Remember that word abiding all those times in the first 11 verses? That when we abide in Christ and he abides in us, he says you're going to love people better. Not because you became a better lover, but because I'm flowing through you. This is all based on his love for us. First and foremost in this example a fruit. When he says you're going to bear fruit is our love for one another. But also remember, this is first and foremost the love that Christ had for us. As branches, we are not left to produce anything that does not flow from the vine. This is not you kind of working up a love for the unlovely that Christ didn't have. No, it's letting his love for the unlovely to flow through you. It's as much of a test of our connectiveness with Christ, much more a test of that than it is how moral, how loving you can be. Because he makes a natural, kind of a a common conclusion there. Hey, you're connected to me, you abide in me, all of a sudden you're going to start loving the least of these. Or as we talked about in life group today, sometimes the beast of these. And and, and really, you know, I mean, because sometimes we think of the least of these as, Oh, look at that pitiful person. But has God ever brought the beast of these in your life? Sometimes it's not the least of these where you can look at, you know, them in a compassionate way. No, they're just hateful people. And you have the blessing of having them in your life. So God doesn't say move from a three to a five on the love level. He says, no, because you're connected to me. My, I have a love for them. <laughs> I have the love for unlovely things because at one time, Bobby, you were unlovely. And I loved you. And now I'm going to let my love flow through you to this person. This is spiritual transformation, folks. This is the very Spirit of God working in our hearts and our minds. This is not natural, but it is Supernatural. Look what it says there. That we are to love as Christ loved us. How? It begs the question, then how does Christ love us? Let me give you two, if you want to say components, qualities, that you can write down. If you're note people, these are the two things that you would want to write down this morning. Because this is how we actually live this out. It's one thing to use this broad term, okay, I'm going to try to love people more. But how specifically has Christ loved us? The first one we see in verse 13 
is a measure of sacrifice. First quality of this supernatural love, this Christ-like love that goes from the vine into the branches that is supposed to go out into the world is a sacrificial love. Look what he says in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Can a non-Christian do this? It's called warfare. It's called your army buddy. It's called your the Marine that serves beside you, the, that police officer that would lay down his life to, to protect and to serve. There's a lot of ways that we can apply this that do not have to necessarily be in the Christian component. They talk about a sacrificial love. When we use it here, since we are talking about it in the Christian component, he's talking about what do you think is, is on the Christ's mind? What's going to happen in just hours from this discussion that he has with these 11 disciples? He's going to go to the, he's going to go die on the cross. That's why back in John 13, it says this new commandment that I give to you. Old Testament said, love your neighbor. Go back to Leviticus. We see it there and we see it all these other places. We're told in the Old Testament to love your neighbor. He calls it a new commandment in the, in the New Testament. He said, you're going to have a new way of understanding this because you're about to get a visual. When I die for you on the cross, you're going to get a, a visual of what it looks like that truly that you would love in a sacrificial way. You and I were all born with a spirit of selfishness. Would you agree with that? Yeah. That naturally, that we have, even though we can be loving people, we also have this ability to love. Why? Because we were created in the image of God. So we have this one part of us naturally that was created by God that because we're created in the image of God, we have the ability to love. But do we also have this ability to be very selfish and to kind of put ourselves in first place? Yes. And so would you say that at times these are conflicting natures? Ah. I promise you, if you go to a restaurant today and you've been there 15 minutes waiting to get seated and your children are just being, let's say, active, and then somebody who just came in three minutes ago and they take them over to their table and you're still standing there with your active children. Does it just naturally come out and go, well, you know, I'm so glad that they got to sit down first. <laughs> Even though we've been here for 20 minutes. No, there's a selfishness that comes out. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> we were here. Thank you. You've been there, right? <laughs> You've watched me on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Nobody had to manufacture that feeling, that sense of priority. It just came naturally. You were born with that natural ability to say, wait, there's some rules here. We've been here 20 minutes. They've been here three minutes. And you're not playing by the rules. It's natural, folks. We've all kind of been there, whether we acted upon it or not. And yet here he says, okay, along with it, we're made in the image of God, so we do have this ability to love. And yet most of our love that comes naturally is a love based on merit instead of a love based on need. If you're keeping notes this morning, put those two words there. 
Because the most natural kind of love that comes out of fallen people that have the ability to love because they've been made in the image of God, and yet they have this selfish nature, this fallen nature, because we have this nature of sin. When those two conflicting things get together, the most natural kind of love that we have is a love based on merit instead of a love based on need. Now, since the whole example here is the love of Christ, when Christ loved you, did he love you based on your merit or your need? You see the difference? Naturally, even non-Christian people, you don't have to be a Christian to love. And somebody comes in there to your workplace, said, I brought donuts this morning. I love you. (laughs) Somebody takes the job that you wanted by spreading false lies about you, even though they brought donuts. (laughs) Is it natural for you just to love them? Love based on merit, love based on need. Without argument, the love of Christ for you and for I is a love based on need. Our great need that we were lost people in need of a forgiving Savior that would restore us back to a holy God. The Bible is even kind of very clear here that we bring nothing to the table except for our sin. And sometimes when we go to those Old Testament passages or those kind of black and white passages in the Bible, I've had people over the years go, well, that was kind of offensive. You know, I'm saying, well, don't be offended at me. Be offended at God because that's what he has said. But God's just trying to give us a clear picture. God did not save a single one of us because he looked down and said, you know, that old Brian, he's going to turn out pretty good. I can whip him into shape pretty good. Brian, we've done enough discipleship together. Did you bring any merit to the table? Did you bring need to the table? And a sufficient Savior and a loving God said, I will love you based on your need and not on your merit. This is where our natural love for people and the supernatural love that comes as being branches off of the vine and loving as Christ loved us, this is where it begins to differentiate. Because you're going to be pulled to love people that merit it. But you are not going to love naturally people that do not merit it. And yet, would you agree that sometimes the people that don't merit your love are the people in the greatest need? Have you ever made that connection? Love out of merit. Not many of us would be loved. Love out of need is where we all fall. Romans chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. My favorite verse in the Bible is verse 8. But verse 7 is very important because it kind of sets it up. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. You see how he sets it up? He was just talking about that this greater love has no man to give his life for a friend. 
And here we see what Paul writes later under the inspiration of God, so it's really God's word. He says, look, maybe scarcely, a very small percentage, you might be able to find somebody that was willing to die for somebody if they were a really good person and you felt like they deserved it. But look at verse 8. But God shows his love for us and that why we were still sinners. Christ died for us. The way that I explain this to kids when we're just going through the gospel, and I think it's just as applicable to us as adults, take the worst day that you have ever had, the most rebellious day that you have ever had against the holy God. We're not talking about spit cleaned on Sunday morning. We're talking about the most offensive day that you've ever, the most rebellious day, the most evil you have ever been. God says, I saw you on that day and I sent my son to die for you. And all your rebellion, not, not because you were, you know, you had some potential. No, on the most evil of days, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is where it really gets personal. That's what we were talking about in life group this morning. Husband, life, wife relationships, parent, parent, child relationships. Do we base on merit or on need? I promise you, the times that I need Christ-like love from Carly more than ever is when I'm really not that lovely. You, would you agree? Not, not about me, but about you. <laughs> Don't make it too personal. I mean, isn't when, when you're hurting and there's rebellion in the marriage and there's friction in the marriage or something, there's an attitude in the marriage? Isn't usually that when there's the greatest need in that person's life for whatever reason? And so to have this Christ-like love in marriage means on those days that you're not earning it, you're not meriting it, but because there's great, great need, even though you have the attitude of a donkey, that you would love your spouse as Christ loved the church, as you would love them in this Christ-like love. Do you make the connection? Do you see the causal relationship? That's a whole bunch different from just the natural love that we have because it's merited. But we also see one other thing. Not only do we see one of the elements of this to be a sacrificial love, but it is a love that advances. It's an advancing kind of love. Look at verse 13. He entered, Jesus introduces a term here that, that wasn't part of the prior part when he talks about friend. And he goes on in verse 14 and he talks about his friends. Look what it says in verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. But Jesus takes this concept even further in verse 15, this concept of of friends, and he begins to explain it. Follow really closely. Verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. Do you notice the advancement? You went from being what? A servant to being a friend. Now, servant is not meant to be derogatory. I know that's kind of a loaded word these days, but it's not meant that way. In the Old Testament, Moses was called a servant. Abraham was called a servant. Daniel was called a servant. Joshua was called a servant. This wasn't derogatory, but he said, look, you know, in this real relationship, wouldn't you say that we're kind of servants of the living God? I mean, would you agree that this is part of the call of Christianity, that we're to serve God? But notice what he says. Look, 
because of my love for you, I have an advancing kind of love. And while you are my servants, I call you friend. Do you have a love that advances other people in their walk? Do you have a love that takes people out of a subservient kind of relationship and advances them to a, a friend? And I'm not talking about like in the friendship mode, BFF. I'm talking about that you love so supremely. You love like Christ. That it's not based on merit. It's, it's involved sacrifice, but it advances that person in, in their walk. This is the love that he's called us to have. The point here is, is not about the curse of being a servant. It's about the privilege and the blessing of being called a friend. Have you ever been on the lower side of the need-to-know basis? Maybe at work. Well, you'll know that, sir, when you need to know it. Now, with that comes in order and ranking. Would you not say if somebody said that to you, that they're, they're taking rank over you? No. Well, I need to know this. No, you don't need to know it right now. But in all my wisdom, I will tell you when you need to know it. And at that time, I will discern if I give you that information. Isn't that kind of a master-servant relationship? But what does he say here? I mean, certainly is not Christ the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings? And yet, look what he says. I call you friend, and everything that the Father has told me, I've told you. They didn't understand it. They didn't grasp it. It went right over their head. They still didn't get the cross up to the days before. They're still not getting the cross. And yet what just Jesus said, because I've raised you out, because of my love for you, I've raised you out of a servant, and I call you my friend, and I have told you things, not on an as-to-know basis. I've counted you in the intimacy of friendship and I've given you all the information that the Father gives me. Folks, that doesn't mean that we don't use discernment and discretion when we share information. But do we have the intention in our relationships to, to when I'm dealing with my wife, am I loving her like Christ loved the church? Well, you will know that when you need to know that. You know how long that would last. One of the most honoring, one of the most loving things that I can do is, man, we, we just start sharing our passions and our, and our future and, and our thoughts and our visions and our dreams. That's intimacy in marriage. It's how you get out of that parent-child relationship and you get into a true partnership. One of the great blessings that he says here is, look, even though I am Lord of Lords and I am King of Kings, I want you to know I call you friend and I've told you everything the Father has told me. Please try to grasp, as I try to grasp, how powerful this really is. Look at verse 16. This doesn't mean that Jesus is our buddy. This isn't Jesus saying, hey man, we're buddies. He is Lord of Lords. He is King of Kings. But look at verse 16. You did not choose, choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father in, in my name, he will give it to you. See that word appointed? There's two words there. I, I chose you and I appointed you. This is the life of the Christian. We are chosen 
and we are appointed. That word appointed means to ordain, to purpose. Let me give you two words that I think apply here. Christ isn't just saying, hey, I have a love for you that is emotional. I have a love for you that is positional. I just don't love you. I loved you with such an action that it brought you from being an enemy of God to sitting at the table and being a child of God. This isn't just an emotional love. This is a positional love. And he said, if we're going to love this way, folks, we're changing positions. We're speaking words of hope in life and Christ-likeness into people's lives that it changes their position in life. I was blessed when I was 11 years old that I had some guys in the church that spoke into my life. And it changed my position, my thought of who I was. And all of a sudden, I just didn't see myself as a kid who could never get it right, but a kid that could have hope that if Christ came to my life and if he would forgive me and I could be a child of the living God, then maybe, just maybe, God has purpose in my life. And that's what Jesus says here. Are we speaking that kind of purpose into the lives of other people? Changing positions. I'm going to conclude with this. Many of you have been able to uh, have the good blessing to go out and serve with I serve. If you've ever been out with I serve ministries, uh, I tell Jeff all the time, I said, Jeff, you're probably one of the truest examples of loving like Christ loved of any person I've ever met in my life. I said, you amaze me. Others talk about it. You just do it. And one of the things that Jeff does as right before we start to distribute the, the food and everything, he gets up on the table usually and acts like a kind of a crazy person, but at least it gets everybody's attention. And he says, guys, the only difference between those that are the helpers and really the people that are being helped is maybe one sickness, one financial catastrophe, going from the point of being the helper and can I help you with this to the person who said, could, could, you, could I have some of that bread? Could I have a couple of those you know, packages of fruit there? And Jeff does it every single time. And it's an illustration of this passage. Because what he's doing is say, okay, guys, realize that today you are, this morning you are a helper, but tomorrow you could be the helpy. Realize by the grace of God that you're on this side today, but don't talk down to these people. Don't treat them as less. That's what Christ is talking about, that we would have such a love that in he changed our position that as we go out there and love as Christ loved, that we change the position of people. And we just show them the great value that God places in their life. Two questions this morning as we close. Has God put a Christ-like love in your heart for others? Is most of your concentration in your life to trying to love others well and carry out this command? Is it just to become a better lover? Can you put that that cartoon kind of picture up there? I know we kind of skipped through that. We'll, we'll close on this. You know, if, if, if we scaled loving others 1 to 10, and we said, okay, down here on the lower side is, you know, that bully and that person that just goes around and just kind of, 
kind of mean-spirited. And we put this person over here and said, well, you know, they help little old ladies across the street, and that's like a nine or a ten. We have that in our mind. And somewhere on there, you naturally fit into this. Would you agree that there are some people, and you don't have to be a Christian, that just are more loving than others? And you're somewhere in there. I don't, would you be a five? Would you be a seven? Would you be a two? The whole point of God's, of Christ's exchange this morning is not for you to go from a two to a five. Never helped any old ladies before. But ever since I've been going to that church, I've been helping old ladies left and right. (laughs) Not even when they ask. Don't fall for that type of Christianity that rests on your ability. But see the intimacy that God has called you into when Christ says, I'm the vine and you are the branch. And you are now to love others as I have loved you. A supernatural love that is not from your own nature, your own ability, but flows from the vine, the true vine himself. Don't just take it up a notch. Transform your whole way of loving by sacrificial, based on need and not on merit, and advancing those that are around us. I never, no longer call you a servant. I call you a friend. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for the hope that is in Christ. And Father, I have repeated over and over and over, maybe to the point of complete boredom, of what this call is not. And Father, I have tried from your word this morning to explain and understand and grasp what this call is. But Father, without your spirit, without your understanding, without you, Father, we will just go out of here and try to be better lovers. Father, show us that this key is all in that word, as I have loved you. Father, if it doesn't come from the vine, then Father, it's not going to be the love of Christ. Thank you that you have given us this word. Father, I would pray that every husband here today would say, okay, God, will you help me love my wife? Not more but as you love my wife. That every wife here would say, God, help me not just love my husband more, but help me to love him as you love him in a Christ-like love. Let it start in our homes and flow from there into other relationships. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray for clarity and grasping now as uh, we sing this song of reflection just to put our focus back on you. We pull out of our hope in you, Father, as we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.com. Dot org, or find us on Facebook.